Hey, Yak. Welcome back to another quarantine podcast. Hope you're doing well. Episode number 38. We're back on looking at the love of God. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 this morning. So turn with me there. The topic today can be a controversial one. The topic is the electing love of God and deals with the um, theological term or concept of election, which is linked to predestination. Um, this is not an idea that was conceived by Augustine or Luther or Calvin, um, but the doctrine of election figured very strongly um, into the history of really the whole church, um, even early on, um, because it's it, it's pretty clear in in Scripture. It's pretty clear in Scripture. The issue, as R.C. Sproul puts it in his book, God's Love, the issue is not whether the Bible teaches the doctrine of predestination. The issue is which doctrine of predestination it teaches. So again, it's not a matter of is predestination real? It is, what does the definition entail? What does election actually look like? And if we know that God's love is mixed up in all his other attributes, how does God's love play out in the concept or theological concept of election and predestination? We're going to look at that over the next couple of days. Today kind of sets it up. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, we're start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you are also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, it's a great practice, I think, in this section of Scripture to go through and circle every preposition. And if you go through that, I'm going to give you a hint. If you go through that, you're going to see the preposition and the prepositional. It's not a full phrase, but it's there. This idea of being in Christ over and over again. In Christ. Because predestination is linked 
to being in Christ. And we also see the doctrines of adoption played out here as well. Um, because we, it is in him that we are in the beloved and we are adopted into the family of God. Now, what is the basis? And this is one of the key questions that is discussed in controversy over predestination. What is the basis of our election? And then the answer is here. The basis of our election and predestination is this. The good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. <clears throat> now, does that make his election arbitrary? Does it make it random? Does God take all the people that will ever exist and roll die and wherever it lands, those are the ones he'll elect? Is his election random? Well, you got to ask that, right? If it's according to his good pleasure, since election is not grounded in us, the question of the nature of God's will and who he loves arises. Is his love arbitrary? That is, does he choose to elect in a cavalier manner? You have to ask that question. And I think when you ask that question and you know the character of God, the answer seems to be no. But it seems to be that it is his pleasure to elect some. It is his pleasure. Um, and I think the problem becomes for those on the opposite side, for those that say it's cavalier, is that it's a huge leap to assume because the reason for our election is not in us, that there's no reason at all. It's a huge leap. It's nowhere there in Scripture. Paul gives us a couple hints, though, in this section about the reasons behind our election. The first is this. It is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And as R.C. says, this is a crucial point. The purpose of God's election in the first instance is to the praise of his own glory. God is glorified when his love and mercy are displayed in election. Election shows his grace and his grace displays his glory. Again, election is not first about us, but it is about him and displaying the glory of God. The second reason, and we'll discuss it in more detail later, is that the electing grace God made us, is that the electing grace God made us accepted in the beloved. It's the second reason. To tie us to the beloved, you are if you are in Christ, God's gift to the Son. You are God's gift to the Son. You see, our election is tied up in the Trinity. If you don't understand the Trinitarian nature of God and God's love, then you miss the idea of how God elects and why he elects. Notice the Trinitarian function. Go back and read the section again especially verses 7 through 14. The Father elects and predestines. The election is in Christ. It's in Christ. And the Holy Spirit works out our salvation as we are in Him. It's where we see sanctification play out. 
So when you think about the doctrine of election and predestination, it's really easy to have a discussion or an argument that just turns angry. And typically the reason it turns angry is because it's all about us. But election and predestination seem to be intrinsically tied within the Godhead to the praise and the glory of his grace. Well, we'll talk tomorrow because this idea brings to light this idea of divine sovereignty. What does it mean to have a sovereign God? Does that mean he just, again, is cavalier with his decisions? How does he make them? Why does he make them? Can we know that? We'll discuss that in the next couple days on The Quarantine. Peace. Peace.